everyone, and welcome to HR Works, brought to you by BLR. I'm your host, Steve Bruce. HR Works provides clear, relevant, actionable information on topics that matter to HR professionals. When you're armed with best practices, plus the knowledge to keep your organization in compliance, HR works. Everyone talks about accountability, but I think few of us are confident that we have fully established accountability throughout our organizations. As a matter of fact, I wonder how many of us could come up with a good definition of what accountability is and say what its role is in our organizations. To help us gain some concrete knowledge of accountability and why it's important, we've asked Kelly Hinshaw to join us. Kelly is VP of Strategic Development at Cy Wakeman. A lively and thought-provoking presenter, Kelly provides actionable ways that change the way her audiences lead and approach their personal and work lives. She leads reality-based leadership, consulting, and training engagements across the United States, and she combines her business acumen with expertise in coaching individuals and teams to lead large-scale M&A and business readiness projects, conduct strategic planning, and drive culture changes. She was awarded the Training Magazine Emerging Training Leader Award for her demonstrated leadership in developing, facilitating, and generating strong ROI from her training programs. She earned her MBA at the University of Nebraska-Omaha, where she serves on the adjunct management faculty. Kelly, welcome to HR Works. I am so delighted to be here. Thank you so much for hosting me and look forward to talking more about accountability. Well, you're welcome. Uh, Well, why don't you start out uh, telling us how you define accountability and what might constitute the elements of the competency of accountability? Sure. You did a great job explaining in the beginning about how accountability is something that we often talk about, yet we often don't truly understand what that means, or we may all have different definitions of how we all define accountability. At Reality-Based Leadership, we base our practices in um, social social psychology and the science of uh, positive psychology, and we believe And our studies have shown that the mindset, um, personal accountability is a mindset that results happen because of one's actions and not in spite of them. And so we found that accountable people believe that they choose their own destiny and they aren't a victim of their circumstances. And we've been able able to further define this and measure it a little bit further by looking for four key mindsets. And the first one is commitment. So what we're looking for is someone who is committed, they're willing to do whatever it takes to get results. And what we found in the accountability process, and as we're working to cultivate a mindset of accountability with employees, is if someone isn't truly committed, the next three things that I'm going to talk about become really, really difficult. Um, A lot of pain and suffering, as we say, like to result um, if someone isn't truly committed to do whatever it takes to get results. We see commitment as someone who is wholehearted and believing in the vision and the outcomes of the organization. They truly own that mindset that I talked about earlier, that results happen because of their actions and not in spite of them. And so the second one is resilience. When people are truly committed, they possess a wholehearted approach to resilience. So they they have the ability to stay the course in face of obstacles and setbacks 
fact, they expect them. Uh, they have a reality-based mindset. They know that setbacks will come when you commit to something. It's called life. And so when they're fully committed, they aren't um, hindered by the setbacks. They are resilient, and they can work their way through them. The third one is ownership. And so when someone is fully committed, they've anticipated those setbacks, and so they're highly resilient, ownership is easy for them. Ownership doesn't hurt because when you're truly committed to something, you accept the consequences of your actions, good or bad. And when you're committed, you have no problem taking blame when things don't go so well, but you're also going to be able to uh, learn from failure, and you're also going to be able to celebrate success. And so when you're truly committed, we like to say that ownership, it doesn't hurt um, because we believe that good things and bad things will happen, and we're going to use the final aspect of um, personal accountability, which is continuous learning. So we know that if we're committed, we can remain resilient, we take ownership of our actions, we get the benefit then of continuously learning, and so we can see success and failure as learning experiences to fuel our future success. Oh, that's great. Thank you. Now, you've uh, used the term reality-based accountability. Could you expand on that, please? Sure. So we focus first as reality-based leaders on what we know to be true. So much of the pain and suffering in our life comes not from our circumstances or the things that happen to us. They come from the stories that we tell ourselves about our circumstances. Um, those stories make up, you know what, we're human. Our egos get in the way, and our egos like to create stories when things happen. However, someone who is reality-based, and is highly accountable, they focus on the truth. They, they focus first on what do we know to be absolutely true in our situations. We focus on what do we know to be absolutely true in our outcomes. So we get real with how we're performing. If we perform well, we know the facts. We know why we performed well. And if we didn't perform, you know, to the level that we wanted to, we get real about that too. So we say, you know, I didn't meet the objectives and therefore I wasn't as accountable as I could have been. And so when we're in a mindset of reality-based accountability, we can wholeheartedly commit. Uh, we can move through resiliently. We take pride in our learning because we know that ownership doesn't hurt. And through, you know, focusing relentlessly on the truth of our outcomes, um, both success and failure, we know that that is how we continuously learn. Okay, that's helpful. Thank you. Now, what about um, when you interview a new employee? How do you figure out if that candidate is one who can assume personal accountability? Sure. We ask a series of interview questions that can help a leader determine if someone is accountable um, or if they like to, you know, maybe fall victim to some of their circumstances. And it's not as black and white as asking a question. Um, sometimes people might just ask the question, well, how accountable are you? Oftentimes, um, someone that's in the hiring process, you know, of course, we've all been coached, would say, I'm very accountable. So instead, we like to ask interview questions that um, are a little more situational or behavior-based. So for example, we might ask a question that sounds something like this. It might say, you know what? How do you feel about your coworker's behavior? Does your coworker's behavior prevent you from doing your best work? Someone who says, um, yeah, sometimes my coworker's behavior might get in the way of doing my best work. 
What this can demonstrate to us is that they might have a belief um, that their circumstances are not in their own control, and so they're giving control of their circumstances and their work to someone else's behavior at work. Um, someone else uh, might answer that question and say, you know what, no, I just know that as a highly accountable person, I'm going to work with people that, um, you know, may or may not show up at work with the best behavior. It's called life. <laughs> However, I don't let their behavior at work control what I can contribute and how I um, show up and achieve success at work. And that's typically a highly accountable uh, answer to that sort of question. Um, we might ask them something about um, commitment, something that says, you know, do you believe that your manager should provide you all the information and direction that you need to do your job? Uh, someone who is um, maybe on the lower end of accountability may respond and say, yes, I do rely on my leader to provide me all of the information and the direction that I need, and I rely on them for that. Someone who is highly accountable may answer that question, something to be effective. You know, when I feel like maybe I'm lacking clarity, I um, go to my leader and I ask and I confirm and say, you know, how can I get more clarity in what I need to do? Or, you know, I was thinking that when you gave this direction, this is what you intended. Um, how can I be sure that this is the goals and the outcomes that you want me to achieve? So we hear them asking a lot more personally accountable questions about actively seeking what their leader wants versus waiting for the leader to hand it to them. So those are just a couple that we like to use in the hiring process, and we have a series um, instead of, in some of our accountability and coaching toolkits that we work and coach managers through. Well, you've got me thinking now, where do I stand on the uh, accountability scale? <laughs> so I have to think about that. But um, you've talked about hardwiring accountability throughout the organization. What steps would be involved in that? Sure. So we go through a series of steps that talk about hardwiring accountability. And this goes back to the first statement that you made and that a lot of leaders think that accountability or hardwiring it is something that can be trained or it's, you know, I'm going to hold someone accountable. However, you can't train accountability and it's a little bit more detailed than just saying, I'm going to hold you accountable for this. So let me walk you through the process. The first way that we can talk about hardwiring accountability in an organization is truly about cultivating a mindset. And that's what it is, and that's what we talked about in the beginning, is that accountability is a mindset. So the first thing that a leader can do to cultivate or hardwire that accountability throughout an organization is through one-on-one -on -one coaching. And the first one is challenge. So we give employees challenges. Um, something that we know that will stretch their strengths, uh, maybe help develop their weaknesses. Could be a personal goal, could be a work project, could be a new team to work on. Whatever that challenge might be, we're going to give them that challenge and articulate to that, that to them as well as give them goals to achieve um, through this work challenge. But the key with this is we can't let them step down. So sometimes um, people say, you know, you gave me this goal, um, these were the outcomes I was supposed to achieve. However, maybe I didn't get to those outcomes because of X, Y, Z circumstance. Sometimes as leaders, we allow folks to um, uh, step down and not accomplish those goals or make it okay that they didn't achieve all of the goals that we set out for them to accomplish because of 
certain circumstances that they have explained to us. And so if we are truly cultivating a mindset of accountability and we're going to hardwire that into our organizations, we can no longer allow our employees to step down or cite their circumstances or reason stories and excuses of why they couldn't achieve the goals that we um, asked them to accomplish. And so that's step one. We don't allow them to step down from the challenge or cite circumstances as the reason that they can't succeed. In fact, their circumstances are the reality in which they must succeed. So the second one is, you know, we need to let them experience the consequences. So if they don't meet their goals, the next step in cultivating a highly accountable workforce is simply sometimes to let them fail. Now, we're not talking about allowing a catastrophic failure that's going to impact the organization or get them in trouble with something that's in a major compliance arena or medical error or any, anything like that. But what we're talking about is, you know, Instead of rushing in as a leader, sometimes we like to rush in and do a diving catch and save our employees at the moment just before they fail so that we can, you know, provide what we believe to be a good, engaging environment, when in fact, that actually detracts from accountability. Instead, a great leader who's going to hardwire accountability and cultivate that mindset is going to allow folks maybe to fail a little and, you know, experience the consequence of not achieving all of their goals. And sometimes that can be hard as a leader is to watch people kind of struggle a bit, but that is so important in cultivating that mindset because only through our struggle do we learn and only through our trials can we um, come back with a testimony that says, here's what I've learned and here's now what I need to, uh, to do next time to achieve my goals. And during that trial builds the testimony, it also builds resilience. You know, experiencing and persevering through setbacks is how someone builds resilience, which, as we discussed earlier, is such a key component of personal accountability. The next one is to provide feedback. So we've talked about giving them the challenge, um, giving them the experience, let them experience, um, you know, consequences, um, providing feedback. Feedback should be short and reflection should be long. So one of the things that we like to challenge is that leaders um, need to step back from the mindset of being an advice giver and instead provide short amounts of feedback. Could be things like simply as, I've noticed on this project um, that you're not listening to uh, the expertise provided of your team. And had you listened to the expertise provided by your team, perhaps you could have um, avoided you know, the um, setback that you um, or have just described to me. Um, I'm going to let you reflect on that and how, you know, you, you, you know, go back for three days and think about maybe um, three instances in which you could have listened to some valuable team expertise um, that could have helped you achieve greater success in this project. Um, along with that, we also encourage them to have what we call an accountable mentor. Um, someone who that they can go to who won't agree with them on everything. Um, along with this feedback, we do allow the feedback period to be, or excuse me, the feedback short and the reflection period to be long. And here's why. You know, sometimes people can be a bit resistant to feedback. They might say things like, well, gosh, I felt like I listened all the time and, you know, those sorts of things. Sometimes, you know, it can be a bit shocking when we receive feedback that maybe we don't agree with or that we've heard the first time. So we encourage them and we may say things like, you know, 
don't take my word for it. You know, why don't you go ask your team and ask them for specific examples for maybe when you didn't take their expertise that may have been helpful for helpful to you and the team and the organization for achieving its goals. Or we encourage them to go to what we call their sense-making mentor, their accountable mentor, someone that they know and trust that can hold up the mirror and, you know, ask them things like, well, could that feedback be true? Is there a time when maybe um, a team member provided you with valuable expertise that you chose not to listen to and ask them to reflect? And so those, uh, those series of coaching questions are that process that asking them to rise to the challenge, not allowing them to step down and citing their circumstances as the reason, letting them experience some consequences, providing them feedback that's short and specific, yet giving them long reflection time so they can seek out you know, other uh, data points as they reflect on that feedback on to when that feedback might be true and how they might overcome it. And then also encouraging that we have an accountable mentor, someone that won't just agree with us, but they can help us hold up a mirror and you know, help us self-reflect on when that feedback might have been true and how we can improve and move through, move through that. So I'm starting to see how this system comes together here. Um, is there any specific training that you do uh, for your managers to how to build accountability? Mm-hmm. So with this process mentioned um, that I just described, it's so important that this is actually done through one-on-one coaching. And so some of the training that we do, uh, we actually have a full-day course. Um, it's called Hardwiring Accountability, and we offer it to organizations. Um, we also have a few webinars on our website as well. Um, but the focus of this course is not only some of the concepts that I've shared with you. Uh, we go into much greater detail on a lot of the things that I'm talking about. But what I want listeners to remember today, if there's anything that they can walk away and do differently today with some of the things that I've talked about, is one-on-one coaching. And we focus so much on using this process in a one-on-one environment. And I contrast that to group coaching. So lots of times when something happens, maybe we see someone in violation of the dress code. Maybe we see someone who's not following a specific process as outlined. Instead of just going to that person and just say, hey, you know what? I've noticed you're not wearing um, the right shoes today. We work in a hostile environment. I need you in closed-toed shoes, not open-toed shoes. Um, Please go change and and come back when you have closed-toed shoes on. Instead of just doing that and having that simple conversation, we avoid that confrontation and instead send out an email to everyone on the team. We group coach, we attack the dress code, and we um, hope and pray as our strategy that that one person who is in violation of the dress code today reads the email, recognizes the email is about them, and chooses then and says, oh, I need to change my behavior. But if we've ever been, you know, um, living at work and life, we often know that that's not how it happens. We often know that creates a lot of drama because the person who needs the coaching and could benefit from the coaching um, often either doesn't read the email or doesn't even realize that the email is about them. And so the people who are highly accountable in the team, you know, they're the first ones to look inward and check themselves and they're saying, oh my gosh, is it me? Am I in violation of this process or am I in violation of this dress code? And, you know, they're screwing around, they're asking others, wondering who they're talking about. It creates so much drama and emotional waste. And so we really um, coach our managers and um, focus a lot of our time in training to say, focus on one-on-one coaching help eliminate the drama, 
go to the person that needs the coaching and have a one-on-one conversation with them because if you group coach, the people who need the message miss the message. The people who don't need the message often um, overanalyze the message. Um, And we do that through empathy and responsiveness. And so what that means is when I see you as a leader doing something good, um, I'm going to recognize it and I'm going to tell you. When me as a leader... I see you struggling. I can empathize with you. I don't sympathize, so I don't feel sorry for you. I empathize. I see you in your struggle, but I can also stoop down with you and rise up with you and and help you answer the call to greatness and focus on what's the next best thing that you can do to add value. So, you know, in closing, you know, the specific and training coaching, yes, we have the hardwiring accountability coaching program. We go in-depth and in detail about some of these concepts, but if there's just that one thing that um, I can ask you to do today to be more effective, do one-on-one coaching. Give that one-on-one feedback so that you aren't um, trying to group coach and leave folks wondering. Um, Someone told me once that the correction of us by our leaders in private saves us in public, and I think that's so true, um, to think about benefiting them by the correction and one-on-one in private so that they can be saved in public. Well, I'm learning a lot as I listen here. Uh, let's um, talk a little bit now about uh, accountability and engagement. Well, what's the difference and how do they relate to each other? Sure. So, you know, engagement is all of the rage. I mean, we know that most organizations, many organizations have engagement surveys. We know that organizations spend, um, it's well-documented, well-published, over $1 billion annually in engagement or engagement-related training programs. Um, Yet what we found is that engagement without accountability can tend to create entitlement thinking. And so um, engagement, you know, is is such a huge process because, you know, employees take an engagement survey. um, You know, they cite the reasons either why they're engaged and disengaged at work. Um, Then the burden tends to shift to the leaders to create engagement plans, engagement committees, um, to fix all of these circumstances at work so that employees can be happy and create a perfect circumstance in our environment uh, for them, for employees to give the gift of their work. Um, Sometimes I like to use the example of when I entered into the workforce 15, 20 years ago, they didn't have engagement surveys. And so I showed up at work I guess I never realized that I had the choice whether or not to be engaged or not. And so I remember when the first employee engagement or satisfaction survey came out, I thought to myself, I'm like, oh, I didn't know I had a choice. (laughs) I'm like, I thought that that's what they paid me for. I thought my organization paid me to show up and be engaged and get, you know, give the gift of my best work. And if I needed something at work from my leader, like, you know, something to make my job um, more productive, um, maybe new tools and equipment to, you know, achieve better outcomes at work, then I would just go to my leader and say, hey, I've noticed that if we would, you know, improve XYZ process or adopt this technology, we could move faster, better, and achieve better results. And so um, what we need to focus on and what leaders need to focus on is, you know, engagement surveys are not bad. Um, We need to focus on engagement as creating a great climate at work And instead, we need to ask one more question beyond the engagement survey, and that is we need to start asking employees, what are you willing to commit to to, you know, create a great place to work? What part are you willing to play in creating an environment that you desire at work? 
So if you want, um, you know, better camaraderie at work, what are you willing to do to create that camaraderie? And that's an accountable question. That's accountability. Um, you know, if they uh, want more recognition at work, well, what are you willing to do? What are you committing to to recognize others at work? Um, what are you willing to do to co-create that environment? So in today's world, with many engagement surveys, we put the onus of creating that perfect circumstance on the leader, when instead we need to ask that question of everyone in the organization and focus first on what are you as an employee willing to commit to to um, help co-create the environment in which you seek to work. Well, I like that. I'm uh, thinking now that something that applies to both engagement and accountability, and that is that they're uh, hard to measure. So what sort of metrics or measurements do you recommend for accountability? Sure. So for accountability, when someone is highly accountable, it becomes much easier to measure productivity. And so um, we can do this in two ways. So at Reality-Based Leadership, we um, have undergone um, and worked with an organization called the Futures Company um, to study how much emotional waste happens at work. And when I say emotional waste, we like to call it BMW driving, so blaming, moaning, and whining at work. So yeah. how much time do people spend arguing with reality, questioning decisions, um, complaining that their circumstances aren't perfect, um, all of that stuff. And we found most recently in our most recent work in a book that's going to be published next year is that employees spend, on average, two hours and 20 minutes a day arguing with reality, colluding in the corner. I'm not talking about the office um, banter that's helpful and productive. I'm talking about arguing with decisions, blaming people, blaming circumstances, um, you know, colluding on all the reasons why something is happening to them, really operating out of that victim mindset. So. In your question, how do you measure accountability? We found, and we're going to start to publish this work next year in, in the book that um, Cy Wakeman, the leader of reality-based leadership, will, will put out, is how organizations have reduced the amount of time spent in emotional waste by improving accountability, cultivating that accountable mindset. And when you cultivate that accountable mindset, you reduce the amount of emotional waste that you spend at work. And that goes back to that question you asked me earlier. It says, what is reality-based accountability? It is getting out of our story. It's editing our stories down to the facts. What do we know to be true? And eliminating everything else. Everything else that we create around the facts just causes that pain and suffering. And so the first thing that we measure is that reduction in emotional waste. Two other things that we've been able to link to highly accountable employees is, uh, for example, we're working with a health care organization that has seen improvements in start times. So because they cultivated that accountable mindset and used one-on-one -on -one coaching and that empathy and responsiveness, um, they've been able to directly address employee behavior and thus improve um, the start times of their procedures, which not only impacts um, employee uh, satisfaction, but results in great patient care as well. Um, another thing that we see is an increase in compliance. And so when I, as a leader, can cultivate that accountable mindset and I use that great, those great one-on-one -on -one coaching tools, um, I can improve um, uh, 
adherence to compliance policies and procedures, and we've seen organizations do a great job with this as well. So as we see those mindset shifts, we can see that reduction in emotional waste. We can see an improvement in quality, and we can see um, an improvement in adherence to compliance policies and procedures. Yeah, so productivity is also a, a piece of this mm-hmm. result then. Well, yes, let's see. As, and as we know, the more productive you are, the you can directly tie those results to business outcomes, ROI, um, you know, whatever the organization might track. We might see increased revenues or we might see um, savings in operational costs, which, you know, of course impacts the bottom line as well and, you know, impacts overall overall revenue numbers, or excuse me, um, overall uh, profit numbers. And that always appeals to management. Absolutely. <laughs> so um, you use the catchphrase, accountability is not a dirty word. Could you uh, explain what you mean by that as a way of uh, summing up what we've been talking about today? Sure. So accountability, gosh, it's often become a dirty word because we say things or we read things like, well, we're going to make you accountable for this or someone's butt's going to be on the line or, you know, I'm going to have to hold them accountable. And sometimes the word accountability um, comes out with a tone of, we've all heard it, frustration or angst or um, sometimes even spite and sometimes it comes out with an air of judgment and so to sum everything up you know I want to really talk about you know there are two different things judgment comes from a place of pride whereas accountability um, if you are owning it in the right mindset really comes from a more loving place as a leader um, because my focus on accountability is cultivating a mindset of success. And so if I wrap it all up, we can talk about how we kicked it off in the beginning and that accountability truly is one of the most discussed yet incorrectly applied leadership attributes. So, you know, we um, try to promote accountability like it's something that we can train um, or that's something that we're going to hold people to. But we're frustrated because results and productivity become stagnant. So, you know, we as reality-based um, leadership and as we train our reality-based leaders, we really try to shift that mindset from accountability being a judgment to accountability being a mindset that we cultivate. And we know through the research, it's widely published in positive psychology, that, a, um, that the happiest people in work and in life are also the most accountable. Because in the beginning, it links back to accountable people own the mindset that they are responsible and that they are in charge of their results and that things happen because of their choices and because of them and not in spite of them. And so that's why um, shifting that definition of accountability as a mindset, it truly enables true happiness in work and in life. And you know what? Honestly, as we sum it all up, I mean, isn't that what we're all seeking? Don't we want more happiness in work and in life? And doesn't that happiness lead to success and results? And that's why we're so passionate about changing that definition of accountability from the dirty word to truly it is a mindset. And it is a mindset that opens a whole new door for happiness and success and results. Well, that's great. Um, Let me uh, issue one note here for our listeners Kelly is going to be speaking on organization readiness for change 
at BLR's upcoming Advanced Employment Issues Symposium. That's going to be in Las Vegas in November. And if you want uh, details about that, you can go to aeisonline.com. So, Kelly, thanks so much for joining us today. Uh, I learned a lot, and I, I think I've got some tips that I can put to use right away. Oh, thank you so much, Steve. I really look forward to presenting in Las Vegas, and I thank everyone so much for listening. I hope it was helpful today. All right. Well, we'll see you there in Las Vegas. And listeners, please let me know what HR work should cover next. Bruce at blr.com. Thanks for listening. This is Steve Bruce for HR Works. The opinions expressed on HR Works do not represent legal or any other type of professional advice and should not be used as a substitute for legal advice from a qualified attorney licensed in your state.